Hey, I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Best day ever. We are coaches, trainers, retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, but didn't start our careers doing this. Jason worked in public accounting, and I worked in corporate retail until starting our dream business in which we help people from all different industries pursue their best day ever every single day. The goal of this podcast is to interview both each other and other professionals making an impact on the world on how wellness is the fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. This podcast is about teaching people to actively pursue their purpose and how to use self-care to do it. We're here to show you how the best day of our mindset is available to anyone at any time, no matter your circumstance. It's your choice and we're here to encourage you. Have the best day ever. Live Better podcast today is brought to you by our Chicago family, Vital Proteins. So Vital Proteins, we've been working with them for years now, and they are the kings of collagen. Um, Collagen is a super important building block for soft tissue, and so you guys know that Jason and I are always running around, rock climbing, jumping off things, getting injured, and so one of the biggest helps that we've found to repair our bodies is vital protein. So you know me, uh, I am a matcha guy, so I love their matcha latte, uh, which has the collagen in it as well. And then to be honest, I just love their standard basic collagen peptides to add into anything from a smoothie bowl to one of my morning concoction teas. And then lastly, the mother load. What I love the best is the collagen creamer. So I um, do not consume dairy. So their creamer is dairy-free with the collagen in it. So when I make a concoction in the morning, which can be a matcha, which can be a cacao, which can be a turmeric latte, I throw in their collagen creamer, um, blend that baby up, and I have a beautiful morning latte. So today's podcast is brought to you by Vital proteins. Now let's get into the good stuff. Brett and Jason here, Live Better Podcast, and this episode is one that I can't believe it has taken this long to record. We have coach, trainer, entrepreneur, business owner, gym owner, Iron Man, Savage Runner, Coach Sam Tooley out of New Jersey on the mic today. Coach, how are we feeling, fam? What up, baby? Um, quite, <laughs> quite the intro always, um, but feeling good, man. Happy to be here. And yeah, definitely long, long overdue. Would love for it to be in person with you boys. Um, but happy to, uh, happy to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, I agreed would love, would love to be in person and think one thing about the backstory of how we met is pretty cool. I think a lot of times we talk about and people talk about the need to remove um, excess time on social media or we're spending too much time thinking about that. One of the coolest things that has happened through the journey of Live Better and Jason and I is being able to meet and talk to and conversate with some of the, the coolest people that we would have just loved to meet before social media existed or if it never did. And the story is pretty cool that you and Jay got connected through Instagram. One thing led to another. 
um, and you came on one of our retreats. So we got to meet in person. And I remember this, like when you came in and met us, you're like, dude, I already know you guys. <laughs> like, I remember the conversation. We were sitting down at the little food deck. And you're like, I already know you guys. And it was, uh, it was something where I was like, man, this is really special that through um, social media, through being able to connect that it brought people together. I think that's one of the magic things that um, that social media can do. And I think your presence online is one of of those that I admire because of the way in which you tell um, your story and your positivity and you are in the grind as well. So um, I think it's cool that, that that's kind of the, the formulation of the early stage of the relationship that that all three of us have together. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, it's funny too, because I think another component of social media and like connecting with people on there is you never know if people are going to be who they are online, right? And, um, you know, again, it's one of those things where we paint a certain picture online. Some of us are just kind of our our normal goober selves and, and go about our business and present ourselves as we actually are. But that's not, it's not always the case. Um, but similarly to myself, I think you guys do an awesome job of just like authentically documenting your journey. And so I, I felt like I clicked with you all before, before the trip. And then, yeah, laugh. I, I remember that conversation as well, where I was like, yeah, you know what? Like, I know you dudes, we're good. Like we can, we can gloss over the, the, the <laughs> mean, intro stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean that trip in itself, I'm sure we'll dive into it, but certainly a, a launching point for for the three of us and for kind of my, um, you know, just to better understand what you guys are building and was amazing to see that kind of in, in real life, not just online. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, there's, there's so many ups and downs to social media and I, you know, I fall into them all the time from everything, you know, from, from comparing myself to other people to this, that, and the other thing to having my phone, my head buried into my phone too much, but there are plenty of, amazing things that come from it as well. And this, this was certainly one of them for sure. What a cool, like just start to finish. We got connected during a extremely hard time for you personally. And it was, it's been enjoyable kind of watching each other's journey from that point into real life to the point where we can sit down and be like, I already know you. Part of being in this business is you can just tell who's going to be your people and who are the people you're just like, nah, I don't, I don't think so. And from the very beginning, that was just such an easy, yeah, you know, Sam's immediately in our circle. I feel like even since the retreat, of course, like we've become really close friends. Um, and that's been, that's been really special because I think that's, that's something we always um, look forward to coming out of those trips is, yeah, that, that experience is amazing, but then you get to create lasting lifelong relationships. And that was one that was just like, all right, this is just going to be super easy. And I think it was super easy because we knew that, you know, you were being authentic. Like it just comes through in the way that you talk about your journey and you, and you talk about the things that you have going on. And I think to your credit, you've been able to do a lot in a relatively short period of time. And I mean, I'm, I'm excited for where you're going. Um, but I think it would be great if you could start the transition from your, from your journey, getting into fitness to kind of where you are now, because you're still extremely young, but already 
um, fairly experienced. And that's something that we vibe with because I felt like we've moved pretty fast too. So can you start from kind of the beginning of, of getting into health and wellness and then we can riff from there? Yeah. So I think that it's important to give kind of the context, um, really dating back probably before like professionally and, and all of that, because so much of why I'm doing what I'm doing now stemmed from my upbringing, from my high school time, from, you know, where I really became passionate about, um, you know, coaching and endurance sports. And so I'll start back at high school and we'll kind of just dabble from there. And so, um, I played every sport under the sun and was moderately athletic, probably just because, uh, I was so competitive. It wasn't that I was naturally good at any sports. I just was a grinder. Um, and so luckily for me, while I was trying to kind of figure out what was going to be my thing, um, I was introduced to running and the story, I mean, the story itself, and I don't know if I actually ever shared this with you two, but, um, the way that it went down was that my buddy stole my bike and I chased him down on foot while he was on my bike and I threw him off my bike and his older brother, who was six foot four, a, you know, soon to be Olympic javelin thrower was standing there hawking me down. And I was like, oh crap. I was like, I'm about to get my ass beat. And he looks at me and he goes, yo, he goes, you are coming out for the track team. And I was like, all right, cool. And like, that was, that was like what pushed me into running was that my, my buddy's older brother witnessed me, you know, hawking him down on foot. And that was the start of it. And so from there, just fell in love with the track team, fell in love with running and kind of everything that it stood for. And so much of that for me stemmed from my coaches and the guys who really were instrumental in kind of just molding me into the person that I am today. And we'll dive into it. And, and I think that there was a, quite the evolution to be where I am now. But um, so much of what running was to me back then was that it was fair. And I talk about this always. I talk about it um, in my posts and, and, and the athletes that I coach. But running is just fair. And you get in what you put into it. Um, you, you know, it just comes down to being consistent, showing up, being committed. Like you can lead so many different ways, whether it's encouraging the dude in the back of the pack or, or just outworking everybody at practice. Like I just, I just really vibed with it. And I think mainly because it was fair. And although from like a picture, like from outside looking in, I had this picture perfect life with a beautiful family, great house, like you know, money was never an issue. We could go on vacations, yada, yada, yada. And that was very much the theme of my town as well. It's a very affluent, um, affluent town. And so picture perfect from the outside looking in, but at home, we really struggled and we had a very dysfunctional family life. Um, addiction was super prevalent in my family. Uh, parents were, you know, on the verge of divorce for what felt like, you know, their entire marriage, quite frankly. And so I was a super angry kid and I got the opportunity to really take out that anger and frustration in my running. And so my coach, who was a military dude, old, like old school, stoic, et cetera, came up to me eventually and was like, you are the angriest runner I've ever seen in my life. And it was the truth. You know, I would legitimately like run until the point that I was crying and like would puke every other practice. Like it was just, it was where I got to kind of beat the punching bag um, and, and let out that steam. And so it served me really well. 
and became a three-time state champion um, in high school and went on to be one of the fastest runner in school history at a, a school that has a pretty historic um, program and then was offered a Division One scholarship after that. Um, and so that was, that was kind of my start, right? Um, what transpired after that was, was essentially what you, you could say was um, a little bit of my demise as well. So I took that same intensity, that same um, kind of anger and frustration, and eventually that love for running really burnt out. And um, I quit the team after my first year at college. I was up at Fairfield U in Connecticut and very, very quickly shifted into just the party guy and needed to kind of redefine who I was. No one cared how fast I could run a mile. Nobody cared about any of that. And quite frankly, I didn't either. Um, so much of what I built my identity on in college was just being the guy that people wanted to be around because there was going to be a good story the next day. Um, and I quite frankly enjoyed it. Like I was having the time of my life and made great friendships and had kind of this, this brotherhood at, at, at college, um, but would come home from school and nothing had changed at home. And so very quickly, like that anger, that frustration just started to kind of boil over. And I, I, that, that desire to want to have fun became kind of a need. And that need really started to spiral out of control to the point that it really wasn't fun anymore. Um, and I was just depressed and, and anxious. And by the time I was a junior, I got kicked out of college, um, was dealing drugs, just was not in a really good place. Um, but quite frankly, was still able to convince everybody around me that I was doing just fine. Um, <laughs> most people didn't even know that I had gotten kicked out of college because I was still on campus doing my thing. Like it just, it looking back, it's, it's so crazy to me that that was the case, but it absolutely was. And, um, you know, I was, I was a one man wrecking ball for sure. And not, not really in a pleasant way either that, that fun, fun, loving dude who had great stories eventually just became kind of somebody who I think most people, even my friends kind of just shook their head at and were like, damn, like <laughs> this dude is, um, really unraveling kind of in front of us. And it was, it was hard for them to watch looking back and having conversations with them. They saw this kid come into college with all of the confidence in the world. You know, I literally felt like my superpower was that I could befriend anybody and do anything that I wanted. And, um, by the end of college, man, I was just, I was trying to fast forward through my days. I'd black out seven days a week. I would drive home from college in tears, you know, contemplating crashing into the barriers because I was just, I just wanted it to end. I wanted to stop feeling so sad and confused. Um, and you know, that, that was, that was a really, that was, that was my lowest point to be honest with you was just feeling like hopeless and lost. Um, and it took, it took a crazy circumstance to really come out of that. Um, by the time I was a fifth year senior, um, kind of the, the dude who everyone was like, wow, you're still here. Um, I found myself in a situation where I was visiting somebody super close to me in a rehab facility. And I heard a girl share her story. And I'm kind of fast forwarding through a lot of this. But um, I heard a, a young woman share her story. And it was like she was able to articulate what had been going on in my head for years 
and only really came to like a tipping point, very, you know, very in close proximity to this, her, her sharing this story. Um, and it just, it just resonated with me. And I was like, wow, like she is inside my head. And so I kind of put the pieces together together on that day in that moment, listening to her story. And I was like, I have a problem. Like this is, you know, this is what I'm dealing with. And it quite frankly, it was a relief because I finally had a name and, and, uh, something to, something to help me understand what I was going through, but it was also super scary. So I'm, you know, I fought with it the whole weekend and checked myself into rehab, um, went through 30 days in the rehab facility, went through 60 days in a sober living, um, situation and very slowly, but surely I started to kind of remember who I was and remembered, um, you know, what I was capable of. And also just started to rem- remind myself to so many of those lessons that I learned while running in the sense that like, I am responsible for what happens next. You know, I was always really good at pointing the finger and blaming situations and circumstances for, you know, why I was in the predicament that I was in or why I felt the way that I did. And really nobody blamed me. You know, I was always kind of let off the hook or, you know, not held accountable for my actions. And it wasn't until I really took responsibility for my life that anything changed. And I was, you know, once I did that, I started to kind of see the light and started to see myself for the person that I knew I could become. Um, And that's not to say that that was easy by any means, but it certainly was, it was what happened. And that set me up on the course to, you know, where I'm at today, where it gave me this foundation and this perspective. And we talk about it all the time, you know, the three of us, where we talk about mind mindset and stuff like that, where so much of my mindset was built during this time of, of reflection and transformation, because I just had time to sit with my thoughts and really come to some concrete truths about, you know, what's, what's what, and what's real and what matters. And so, um, you know, I, we can dive into kind of what's happened from there as I've built my business to where it is today. But that's that's the foundation, right? That's like the real framework. Um, and so the very first thing that I did from there was I came back and, and decided that I wanted to coach. And I was just a coach at the alma mater at my high school for the cross country team. Um, but that, I, I, I realize how in-depth that is, but it's super important to understand that that's kind of the process and transformation that I went through to really even come to understand that I wanted to coach. And it was going through that process of being in a rehab facility with a bunch of 45 year old dudes who had been there time and time again. And I went in hopeless, lost, confused, felt out of place, like, you know, almost bewildered by the fact that I was there and then slowly started to like lead that group and then repeated that process again when I was in sober living with guys my age, 23 years old, and started to lead that group because I, I saw myself as a leader. And so I was like, okay, I, I, I loved who I became during this process, right? How can I do this in a, maybe a bigger way or a way that I can replicate in quote unquote, the real world. And immediately when my dad asked me the question of like, okay, well now what I said, I want to coach. Right. And that was the closest that I could get to, to leading people was to become a coach. And so in the simplest terms, I was like, all right, I'll volunteer at the high school. And that kind of set me up for what was to come. 
just want to let you talk all day. <laughs> but, uh, okay, now walk us through from there getting your first client or coaching your first team or getting into your first class because if we fast forward today, you've got a private training business, a group concept gym, you have a mindset program. We're building the the largest virtual 5k community of all time ever and you're working on big brand deals and and doing fun stuff talk us through the first because people, people get hung up on that and that's always what we're talking about to young trainers and new trainers or, or really anybody at any age looking to transition to start their own business they get hung up on what is now without looking back to see oh this person has put in thousands of hours, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours into this process to build themselves into the person that they are now. Um, you're only witnessing the, the tip of the iceberg. Walk us back to uh, to the first time, you know, you felt a little ice cube. I'm like, hey, this is what, uh, this is what I want to do. Translate that into the first time you were paid to do something. Yeah, I mean, the start of my business was laughable to an extent because here I was, right, fresh out of rehab, um, came home, started to coach, was immediately um, met with support, right? Westfield is one of the biggest, it is the biggest cross-country team in the state of New Jersey. Between the boys and the girls team, we have 200 kids running cross-country, which is like bigger than some graduating classes, right? It's That's a massive team. We show up like a mob. So um was super embraced by those kids, was embraced by those parents, just felt like I was in the right place doing the right thing and um, needed to be there because unfortunately that first season, my dad passed away super suddenly, my biggest support, you know, my biggest advocate for for finally kind of finding um, what I was supposed to be doing and, and pushing me in that direction. And, and here I was like, I had just gotten a college education and he was like, yeah, be a volunteer coach, you know, and that's, that's probably a tough a tough ask for most parents, but at the same time, like he just, he saw me light up every day. And so luckily I was supported by those kids, but I needed to figure out how I was going to support myself financially. Um, my dad was kind of my, my backbone there and was supporting me. And so I was like, all right, well now it's time for, for me to kind of grow up and become an adult. And so I was scrolling through Instagram and kept seeing all these dudes posting about, I'm going to help you put on muscle. I'm going to help you lose body fat, this, that, and the other thing. And nobody was really catering to the endurance athletes online. And other than like a mom crouched down next to her minivan, like holding up five fingers saying that she ran five miles, which no offense, that's all good. But that just wasn't like someone that I jive with when we, when we talk about like why we kind of aligned, you know, with the presence that we each had online that wasn't doing it for me. And so I was like, all right, well, like I will be, I will be a coach to the people. Right. And like, I will, I will give it, I'll give the people what they want. Um, so I, I created the coach.samtooley Instagram account and my buddies went berserk, right. My college buddies. And again, so here I go from being like party boy at Fairfield U up on the beaches of Connecticut to pumping out content of me running on like a shoveled out track that in the snow. Right in like my tights and my spandex and my buddies are like, dude, what are you doing? Like, we know, we know you just got sober, like all good. Like you're figuring it out, but like, what is this? 
And I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to coach runners online. And they're like, all right, I guess that's cool. So I used the business as my excuse to start putting out this content um, on Instagram. And this was about three years ago. And I just went to work, right? Like I was posting every day. I used my golf shoe that was in the back of my car as like a tripod. I would run by the the phone set up, taking pictures, um, you know, within like on the shoe, right? So it was this laughable setup. And then I would DM anybody and everybody that was hashtagging like marathon training or half marathon training, you name it. Like that was my sole responsibility. Slowly but surely that Instagram account built and I was coaching people like, I mean, this was grunt work, right? But I was coaching people in Australia, Switzerland, Mexico City, all across the US. And I was charging 50 bucks a month to coach and I was coaching 40 people, right? So I was bringing in $2,000 a month and I was like, yo, I was like, yo, this is it. Like I thought I was bawling out. I would show up at practice. I had like 10,000 followers on Instagram. The kids were like, coach, how, like, how are you doing this? Um, and I felt like I was on top of the world. I was like, this is amazing. Like I'm getting paid to coach. Now, lo and behold, obviously recognizing $2,000 a month and the amount of work that it took to coach 40 people, I was like, well, shit, this ain't going to work. So <laughs> had to quickly kind of re, uh, revamp that business plan. Um, but that was how I got my start, man, was really just kind of putting myself out there and um, really authentically documenting my journey, right? And that was one of the things I think I said in the initial moments of this podcast is people who do that are the people I catch myself watching their stories and almost like laughing at the stuff that they're posting because it's just them being them, right? And I think so many times, yes, there's plenty of people who are insanely inspirational on social media, but I can't really like relate to them, right? Like that they're not, you know, when we talk about like being our people, right? If I can't relate to you, if I can't see myself like chilling with you in El Salvador on the beach, like laughing, um, you know, I, I watch your stuff, but like, do I really, do you really resonate with me? Do I buy into you? And my Instagram account very quickly became essentially like my open-ended journal to the world where it wasn't just the X's and O's of my training plan. It was more about like, hey, I just lost my dad and I'm a coach at the high school and these kids are supporting me. And I'm trying to run a half marathon. I've never even done that yet. So it was really just me being me and people bought into that. And so quite frankly, like that's been a pillar of my ability to build business is recognizing that people will buy into people. And that's, you know, something that's, it's harder to stay true to that than maybe people realize, but I, because you start to think about like, Ooh, should I post this? Or like, Ooh, like what's going to get me more likes this, that, and the other thing. But when it comes down to it, like nobody, nobody really cares, right? There's, there's billions of us on Instagram. There's but like, there's so many people out there, right? People are going to jive with you if you kind of just do your thing. And so that's been, you know, how I've built that business up is just continue to be me. And I was, you know, to kind of segue into where I'm at with the gyms and stuff like that, we'll, we'll keep that rather short, but um, I was scared about having just an online business. And so I opened my first tiny studio and I actually just this week started kind of, uh, documenting that journey by revisiting old pictures and kind of telling the story, but open a 500 square foot gym, 
uh, it was me and my dog in a squat rack and I would train one people one-on-one. Um, and you know, there was, there was certainly tests along the way and we can, we can dive into that as well, but, um, you know, have continued to kind of just level up, level up and, and bet on myself. And right now, quite frankly, one of the, one of the things that I'll laugh about, I'm sure looking back on this quarantine is, um, how much, uh, how scary it is when you've just continued to double down on yourself and you don't really, (laughs) you don't really have anything to, uh, as a safety net, right. If you keep just reinvesting, reinvesting, reinvesting. And so, um, right now, you know, I've, I've got the two gyms, I've got alpha performance, which is a semi-private training facility and then alpha fit club, which is a group, uh, group fitness concept that we launched in my hometown. And that has kind of exploded over the last year. Um, and we are opening not one new corporate location, but it actually looks like we're going to be opening two by the end of the fall, um, corporately. So we'll have four gyms by the end of 2020, uh, which is pretty amazing. And so, you know, it's, it's been a lot of really just staying true to who I am and, and, and believing that I can make it happen if I put my head down and, and do a lot of that work. I want to take one step back in the story. And um, people that know me in college can't believe what I'm doing now. And so I'm very similar in the fact to you, Sam, that I was the number one partier at the number one party school in America while I was a senior in college. Um, And one thing that Jason and I have been chatting a bunch about recently is how identity – who you identify yourself to be um, really creates a lot of the habits in which you do consistently and also blocks a lot of the habits or goals or accomplishments that you know you want to go at. And we've all read The Alchemist and we know that when you start on the journey, the universe conspires for you. Now, the hard thing, I think, for people, and whether it's coming out of being a partier, uh, coming after a traumatic incident like your father, um, or coming out of this, right, where you're in a tough spot with gyms that have been closed for a lot of times, it's it's really looking at yourself and identifying who you are, and also who you want to be, and finding the gap between the two. So, I want to take that and ask you. You were kicked off the team or you stopped running, you started partying. When was the first time that you went on a run after that that you really thought about yourself being a runner again? Because I know that once sports end, for a lot of people, like Jason and I played sports in high school, and once they end, it's really hard to dive back in. So the fact that you went from leaving the sport to re-identifying yourself as the party guy to then coming back to the sport, I think that everybody does that in one way or another, except most people don't come back and then pursue, right? All of us have this dream as a kid. We go off into la-la land until we're 30, 40, 50, or 60, and then we end up coming back to it. But most people come back to it with like, up. you know, I play golf on the weekends now and you wanted to be a professional golfer or I started painting again when I was 40 
and you look at all the stuff you did as a kid was around painting. You know, there's a million examples. But you too, at, at, a, at a very young age, were able to come back, put on the shoes, and hit the fucking pavement. So can you take us through the first run after, you know, this kind of low point? Yeah, there, there's actually two, two stories that I'll share with you guys. And again, I, I don't know if I've shared this with you, so it, it might be the first time you're hearing it. And so um, I was a gym rat in college, right? So even though I quit and let's, they certainly politely asked me to leave the team <laughs> after my freshman year, um, I was tired of being a stick figure. I was like 110 pounds going into college. And so I hit the weight room hard and that was the only productive thing that I did every day, right? I had no interest in school, no interest in academics, but I would hit the weight room and lift and I was able to, you know, really transform my body. And so, um, for me, that was like my saving grace in, in college to an extent. Um, but certainly it was nothing like, it was nothing like pursuing an athletic, uh, you know, achievement of any magnitude, right? It was like so self-serving and really just to like look a certain type of way to get girls to feel like I did one good thing. So, um, you know, I, I definitely uh, found a passion for, you know, training and things like that in, um, in the gym in college, but it was a very different, it looked very differently. And so the first time that I ran, so I took six years off of running, right? Let's, let's, put that out there. I did not run a single step for like, I did not ever lace up running shoes and put on headphones and say, I'm going for a run for six years, um, which is a long time. And so the first time I did it was when I was in sober living. And I remember it very clearly because we lived, it was in um, Scranton, Pennsylvania. And uh, we lived on basically like a little like lake reserve and it was me and again, 20 guys. And I remember the first thing that I recognized when I got there was that these guys were not like the guys that were in the legit rehab facility, right? So the guys who were in the legit rehab, they put me with a bunch of 45 year old men who were so distraught over being there. They had families, they had jobs, they had lives, they had been there so many times before and were so disappointed with the fact that they were there that you could feel that, right? And by the end of the time that I was there, they were so encouraging to me that I was doing the right thing and that I would never regret it, yada, 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 that I was just on like this war path to, to, to help people and like to believe, um, to help them like believe that they were doing the right thing and that we had a chance and that we could change and all this stuff. And so I show up at this kind of bougie ass, sober living on a lake and these dudes who quite frankly were um you know put there by their parents or the courts or whatever you know meals were served you had this that and the other thing they didn't get it they didn't understand like they didn't understand that people who were in the rehab facility with me like overdose and died and that they had washed their whole life away and so i the first day i was there i snapped and i was like yo wake up. I was like, do you understand where we are? I was like, do you even understand what this could look like? And it just, I was so, I was so angry um, that I, I made it a mission of mine to wake up every day while I was there and run. And I was like, I'm getting back to this. I'm going to show these guys, yada, yada, yada. It was almost like this, let me show you what we're capable of. 
Um, because of course, everybody tells their stories of who they, who they were. Right. And, you know, everyone loves to tell their war stories and stuff, but then also like where they were at their best. And, you know, here I was claiming to be a state champ, you know, national level runner. And, you know, everyone's kind of nodding their head like, yeah, sure, man. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, motherfuckers, like, I'm going to show you. So the first time I ran was at that sober living there was a like a quarter mile grass loop and I would just hit that every morning before everybody woke up. And that's, that could very well be exactly where, um, this early morning, this, like, I'm going to outwork you mentality, like that very well could be where it started. Um, but (laughs) you can imagine how humbling that was as well. So my, my big ass was, was certainly, uh, lethargically moving around uh to try to try and make that happen that's for sure what do you think along that journey sam that the most powerful thing that you learned or took away that now informs the way that you conduct yourself because i think you know it's a compliment that i've given both you and brett on a few different occasions but the two of you definitely like just commit so fast and just do it just like all right we're in we're we're out um what you know what do you take with you from those times that now drives you forward when you don't have the pressure cooker of context for like hey i'm in a sober living facility like if you contextualize that that makes you move because you're like the alternative right is i end up dead or any number of consequences that are negative but now you have money now you have clients and gyms and and you have this life that you've built for yourself what do you think stays with you from that or what do you think your biggest lesson you took from that that you just you've been still running with yeah so part of the story that we didn't dive into yet and certainly um, has me operating as i do is two and a half years ago, um, right before, you know, right before, uh, I officially, I guess you could say opened the very first gym. Um, you know, I was coming up on my second year of coaching. Everything was all good here. I was like, you know, I literally had signed the lease to the gym, laid down the, the turf. Um, we, you know, we experienced and, and I've shared obviously this story with you all, but you know, we experienced something that you would only think to see on the news, you would never expect it to happen to you. And so, um, you know, it was actually, it was like three days before my birthday, my 25th birthday, um, woke up to a home fire and middle of the night, um, you know, to the point where I thought like a, an animal got in the chimney, like it just smelled like smoke from the chimney. Um, but then as you like kind of came to and you're like coughing, um, and you hear like plates crashing downstairs, you know, I shuffled out of bed and, uh, opened my bedroom door and was just met with flames, right? Like legit flames up to my head. Um, and my initial, you know, gut reaction was slam the door, grab my phone, punch out my bedroom window. I'm up on the second floor, jump out the window um, onto the roof. And I, I remember standing on the roof, looking at my mom on the front lawn, screaming to get out of the house as like flames literally spit out of our, our home. Um, 
jumped off the roof, sprinted around the front, pushed my mom back and just kind of stared up at my house. And I've never told anybody this, literally, I've never told anybody this, but um, I have a picture on my phone that I, I took as we waited for the fire department um, of the house in flames. And uh, I still have it. Um, I don't usually ever mean to look at it. Sometimes I just somehow stumble upon it. But this was like, you know, it was, it was a horrifying scene. And uh, the worst part was, you know, we had no idea where my brother was, we had no idea where my dog was. Um, and you start, you know, creating stories in your head and start, you know, telling yourself whatever, but I was super calm. And my whole, you know, my whole purpose in that moment was to just make sure my mom was okay. And that she was, um, she felt like we, we were okay. Um, and it took 50 firefighters, two hours, um, to put out the fire. And, um, you know, obviously my whole street was out, you know, my grandparents found out my aunt and uncle came down and I was just like a brick wall. Um, and we ended up losing Jake in the fire and our dog and everything pretty much. But obviously Jake, my little brother, who was, um, going to be a sophomore in college, you know, that, that turned my world upside down for sure. And it was nine months after we had lost my dad. And so it was kind of like one of the, you know, it was a final gut punch. It was that final blow that kind of just knocked me out. And, um, it took me that entire next year to really regroup and regain any sense of normalcy. And, you know, I, I, fit, I capped off that year on the one year anniversary um, to complete uh, my first half Ironman, which was an incredibly like emotional experience and incredibly emotional um, and, and quite frankly, like mentally taxing um, training period because I just put so much into it and I was really, you know, I was rewarded in terms of performance, but I was also rewarded in the sense that, you know, I crossed that line and I felt like, um, you know, I had a burden had been lifted off my shoulders and that I was, you know, I had given myself permission to live life again, but there was, you know, when you lose people like that, man, you know, my dad, super suddenly Jake, you know, incredible, incredibly traumatic way. Like there are just there, they shake you to your core to the point that it makes you question a ton of things, but then it also confirms a lot as well. Right. And so for me, what it confirmed is that, you know, life is super precious and that nothing is guaranteed, but also that like you are responsible for what happens next. Right. And in that, and, and in that way, I mean, we have no control over what happens to us. We just have control over how we respond to it. And so, you know, I lost that battle for that year. You know, most people would say I handled it as, as anybody would, but, and I would agree. But I think what I took away from it is that, you know, we, we can't control anything outside of our own actions and our own attitude. And that has stood the test of time for me. Right. And that was, that was, very evident, you know, growing up and running, right? Like I was in control of my effort and my attitude towards my races and all of that. I wasn't in control of my family life in college. You know, I was, I was in control of my actions and I, I, I bared the consequences for them, you know? And so 
that's been so much of a driving force for me, obviously, is that I, I get to wake up each and every day. I have the opportunity to get up and do what I love and help serve people and so much of that. And it's, it's almost like this, this amazing advantage of a chip that I have on my shoulder in the sense that I have that perspective. And unfortunately, it came from those, you know, really horrific moments, but it's, it's absolutely ingrained in how I operate. And that's why I move so quickly, because you never know. And I quite frankly, feel like I have a responsibility to both of them, to everybody who's supported me since, um, and, and to everybody that I know that I can impact in such a big way. Like I have a responsibility because I for so long did not live up to my potential, you know, and yet my dad supported me like this, that, and the other thing. Like I just, I, I know what I'm capable of doing and I finally understand that it's going to take showing up every single day, regardless of the circumstances to bring that into reality. So it, it didn't necessarily come from, um, you know, my my time in, in rehab or sober living, but that gave me the foundation in terms of knowing that I have a choice and then going through those those tough losses of my loved ones reconfirmed that and then kind of ignited this this next level of motivation that keeps me kind of striving forward at a pace most people can't keep up with. Well first we just want to say thank you for sharing that Sam because it's deeply personal. And we've heard it and it doesn't get any easier for us to hear the second time. I think it's an unfortunate way to learn maybe the most important lesson that you laid out in life is that it's your choice. It's your choice. You can do with it what you want. And while a lot of people never go through life, thankfully, uh, having to learn that lesson the way in which you did, I think people don't have that type of driver. And when you coach people, when you try and translate that message, which is so visceral and tangible to you, how do you translate that down to somebody who's doesn't have, um, don't have those sort of pivotal moments where it forces you one way or the other, because there's obviously a negative way to respond to all that too. And to go full like destructo mode. And mm -hmm. I think it takes an incredible amount of courage and character to take that in a positive direction as you have and to use that as a positive chip on your shoulder rather than one to double down, double down and amplify the amount of anger that you grew up with and used to run and do things with. Not that some of that I'm sure doesn't come up here and there, but how do you translate that to somebody who feels like I've never had anything that bad happen to me in my life? Where do you encourage people to dig down to look for that same sense of fire and urgency and um, prioritization? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good question. And quite frankly, one that I'm still figuring out because I think that the reason that my coach in high school, for example, was such an incredible coach was because at 70 years old, he could figure out what made each of us tick, right? And again, like we were, we were in a completely different lifetime, right? We had, he, he was a dinosaur to us, but he understood how to get under each one of our skin the right way to want to make us run hard, right? And so 
well, I could, you know, I loved being like challenged and yelled at and being like, that's all you've got. Whereas if you said that to another kid, he might crumble, right? And and this, my coach, Coach Martin knew how to, you know, kind of bend and mold his coaching style to really just benefit the team. You know, we went on to be the fastest team in school history because, and you had the most different, we were like the mighty ducks, man. We were the weirdest collection of human beings I've ever met, right? Runners are already weird, but this was like, this was like next level. Um, And yet he made us one cohesive group and it was certainly him. It was not any of our like 16 year old leadership skills that were doing it. I think um, this guy just figured it out. And so in similar kind of concept, I think that getting people to understand, you know, what they're capable of. I think everybody is going through something always, right? We all are fighting our own battles. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak with a bunch of different high school groups and things like that. Um, and it, it's usually specifically with kids who are, who are struggling with something, right? We don't know what it is, but they're, they're there for a reason at these, at these talks. And, you know, I, my message to them is very simple is that we are all dealing with something right right now in this moment, I'm dealing with something you're dealing with something, but, and it, and it certainly is hopefully not to the magnitude of, of the stories that I've laid out so far, but I think it's, it's important to recognize that and that everybody's fighting their battles. Um, and everybody is telling themselves these stories, right? These, these self-proclaimed um, kind of like limiting belief stories. And I think if you are a good coach, you are somebody who can start to see what that story is. You can start to feel what people are telling themselves and how they're, how they're limiting themselves and how they're getting in their own way. Um, and I thought what you guys had said earlier was very poignant in the sense that like, we all know who we want to be, right? When we're at our best, we all know who we want to be. And it's about helping them bridge the gap between kind of that picture perfect standard they set for themselves and where they're at now. And so like, that's, that's my mission, right? My goal is to help people, you know, one, recognize that, you know, they can go get whatever it is that they're after and trying to kind of stoke some sort of, you know, a sense of urgency to go get it, but also a belief that it's literally possible. You know, sometimes I think we are our own worst enemies and our own, uh, you know, biggest critics. And so really it's, it's oftentimes just getting people to, to stop being so negative to themselves and kind of just believe and then pushing them towards doing the work that's actually going to get them there. What's a way in which, um, you kind of do that. I think one thing that I've noticed is hearing your story and seeing somebody who has made a massive transformation is obviously very empowering um, and motivational. And we, we see motivation all the time, but motivation wears off, right? Discipline is the only thing that's going to keep us working consistently. So let's let's take an example from your book. How do you avoid going back to the things that you were addicted to? How do you avoid um, alcohol and partying um, and kind of how in the same sense do you overcome grief? Like you mentioned, when you when you stumble upon that picture in your phone and those hard memories come up, 
what are some of the things that you do to overcome that? Because we might not all have the as you know devastating or dramatic story, but every single person, every single day has to overcome. Maybe it's just a bad habit. Maybe it's just snoozing your alarm three times. And if you didn't, and you had 15 minutes every morning, and you did some squats and lunges and jumping jacks, that would translate to, you know, a week later going for a five, you know, going for a five minute run, and then a 30 minute run. So how are you? How do you? And what are some of the strategies that you've put in place to not go back? Yeah, so I, I'll say a few things on this. And so First and foremost is that I ask myself two questions fairly regularly when I'm contemplating, you know, maybe something that's not in my best interest. And really it's the question that I ask is how, how will that be serving me? Right. And so for an example to be, you know, I don't really miss drinking, right. I think that we, it's really easy to kind of like glorify it and think of the better times, but most of my time drinking, especially when it ended was miserable, right? It was actually like my worst moments. And so it's very easy to gloss over that and forget that. But if I am missing it, it's probably from like the social situations with friends and things like that. And quite frankly, I just asked myself, like, if I go back, right, if I, if I take that step, and you can use this for any example, I just ask myself, how would that really be serving me? Right? And so, you know, when my dad passed away, and I'm sitting on the steps of, of, uh, of my backyard and I'm thinking to myself like screw this this that and the other thing like I should just have a drink you know again this was pretty fresh after getting you know getting sober really the very next thought that I had was how is this serving me like how would that serve me that would just make this situation worse right and so that's the one question that I asked myself and then in terms of when I kind of have to grit my teeth and and just do the work and I'm not feeling motivated I you know, again, I have a second question. It's been my mantra since high school, and it can work to my benefit or it might not. And so I asked myself, how bad do I want it? Right? How bad do you want it? And it was something that I used to grit my teeth and say during races in, in high school. And more times than not, it would serve me and it would help me push, push, push. But then other times, quite frankly, I would lose that battle. Right. And I'd be like, <laughs> I don't want it that bad today. And those were the races I usually lost, right? So um, that, that question to me is kind of like the ultimate truth seeker in the sense that like, you know, we can say we want to go do X, Y, and Z. We can want that big goal. But are you willing to do the work to get yourself there? That's a very different question, right? When you really get down to the nitty gritty. Um, and so it's a, it's a very, you know, it gets right to your core and, and it kind of uh, poses that question in a tough way. So those are the questions that I ask myself when I'm struggling is, is in terms of, you know, potentially making a bad decision. I just say, you know, how will this serve me? And then if it's really just about, you know, summoning up the strength to show up when it's inconvenient or do something that I don't feel like doing in that moment, um, I just kind of grit my teeth and I say, how bad, you know, how bad do you want it, man? Like you said, you said you wanted X, Y, and Z. Are you willing to do what it actually takes to get there? Um, and listen, like I recognize the, the, the savage mindset that I have kind of cultivated is not for everybody, right? Nobody, not everybody needs to be getting up at 3.30 in the morning and doing X, Y, and Z and training the way that I'm training. Like 
I don't think that everybody has that in them per se, um, nor do they need to, right? But for me, where I'm at right now, I have to continue to push the boundaries of my potential in almost every way that I possibly can. Um, because I just that it, it's just where I'm at. And if I was to do anything else, I think I would feel like I was doing a disservice to myself. And so, you know, I think in terms of coaching and, and helping people really um, get clear on what they want, you know, one way to go about it too is to set the goal and then to reverse engineer it, right? To set the goal, say, I, I'm going to do, you know, I want to run, let's say, a three, a three hour marathon, right? And then reverse engineer that goal and figure out what it's going to take and start kind of chipping away at it, right? And I know that you guys obviously can relate to that in a big way as well, where, you know, if you can break that goal down into little, little pocket size nibbles and, uh, and kind of just attack it that way, it's a lot more manageable, right? And so a couple questions that you can ask yourself, a couple different ways that you can kind of set and attack goals. Um, I think that there's, there's a whole bunch that people can do to kind of stay, stay on point and you're not going to win every day, right? As long as you check the box more days than not, you're progressing in the right direction, but you ain't going to win every day. I know I don't. Totally. I think, I think there's a lot that comes out of that. And I love the, the checking of the box example, the training example, and the questions. I think we have to spend time in those areas of thought. And that can be done through meditation, through journaling, through so many different things. And I think reflection is, is of a lot of importance. And I also think the other side of that too, is that a lot of people are over reflective and take no action. So finding that for you, it might be if you have to wake up at 3.30 in the morning, because you know that if you if you get up at that time, like you're going to grind. Some people need to stay up late. Some people need to take breaks during the day. Some people need to set way more boundaries than others. Um, for me, when I need to accomplish a goal, like you said, I have to reverse engineer it or I will fall off the goal and or I will make excuses. But when I have literally like if I spend a couple hours or, or a couple days creating the plan, like execution for me is easy. Um, but if I don't do that, and it's so funny when I set my monthly goals, like it still is like half of the months I actually put down the goals onto paper. And of the months I do that, I accomplish them. And of the months I don't, I'm at like a 30, 40% rate. So it's like, it just, you, you still need the time to reflect. And you're just, like you said, it's not going to be perfect. Um, but one thing that we love and you just really dialed in on is the mindset that we share at Live Better, which is just to have the best day ever. And how you've said this so many times throughout the podcast, I can't wait to listen back to this. And you talked about how it's your choice. And um, through the mindset course that you've created, through the people that you've impacted, and through the fact that you are where you are today, still, and we always talk about this between us through that we're still at the start of where we're going to go, um, you create a lot of best average for yourself. So if you could wake up tomorrow and do anything, lift the travel restriction, um, be anywhere, do anything you want, hang with the boys in El Salvador, whatever it is you want to do. What does Sam Tooley's best day ever look like? Oof, that's good. I don't listen as much as I love El Salvador with you boys, and there will come a time for that tomorrow. Um, if they lift this quarantine tomorrow, man, I can't tell you how good it would feel to wake up at my three thirty time, 
to go crush a workout with my guys at the garage gym, bounce over to Alpha Fit Club and just see a packed, sold out class of people just getting after it and having fun um, and probably end with um, a sunset run down through town and just see people out. I think right now, man, so much of kind of what this quarantine has been for me and like dealing with um, this sense of kind of like solitude is just recognizing how lucky I am to be supported and surrounded by really like-minded people. And I think that it's funny too, because when I grew up in this town, I said, I couldn't wait to get out of here. And then you come back as an adult, you, you know, I, I experience what I've experienced and you see people rally behind you and then you try to give that back. Um, you know, it's people are good, man. And I think good people find good people. And what I've tried to build are hubs for those people to come together and to better themselves. And really, you know, we, we say it every single day, but like fitness is just like the catalyst, right? It's, it's been my secret way of infiltrating people's lives for the last four years in an attempt to really just help them get better. And I don't just mean that physically. I mean that in every sense of, in, in, in every sense of the word and in every way possible. Um, and it's what I get to do. Right. And so, you know, I think when you do recognize that you are in charge of your destiny and it comes down to, you know, sometimes putting in a relentless amount of work to go get it. Like my, we've been ending a few of these mindset calls with hard truths, right? Like what's the hard, what's the hard truth you got to tell people right now as they come, as they come out of this quarantine. And it's, it's that nobody's going to do the work for you. Right. So we are, you know, we're going to come back to, to normalcy pretty soon. And everybody's had the time, you know, to do some soul searching and to figure out, you know, what it is that's really important to them and what, uh, what they really want, yada, yada, yada. And I'm, I'm all for that. I got to part, I did a bunch of that myself. Right. But just because, you know, you got to do that doesn't mean that it's going to come any easier, right? We're still going to go back into these super busy worlds. We're going to still go back to the everyday hustle and grind of life. Like nothing gets simpler unless you make it super clear what you want. And then you still have to go get it, you know? And I think I said that even when we came back from El Salvador is it's great to sit around a bonfire and it's great to sit with our feet in the water and, and write out our ideal days and figure out what it is we want for ourselves and what's important. But that's, that's the simple that I want, right? I just want that clarity. I want to know what it is I want so that I can attack it 10 times harder. Not so that I can just like live this, you know, this minimalistic lifestyle, maybe minimalistic and what's important to me, right? Like I have very few things matter to me, right? But that doesn't make my life easier. What I'm striving for simple, like I'm going big, right? And you guys are too. And I think that's why I love the fact that we are just at the beginning of this because we recognize that. And we also recognize it's on us to go out and go get it. So I'm stoked to to get back to that and getting back to, um, you know, just having the opportunity to, to go impact people in that way and then go get it and, and watch you guys do the same. I mean, that's it. It's, it's using different things, methods, habits, people, places to spark, but the fire doesn't keep burning unless you're, you know, unless you keep fueling it. And I think that, 
that right there is is of so much truth, especially coming out of this time for so many people. So many people have started so many hobbies or, you know, maybe started a new fitness journey or realized through thinking that the job they're doing or the path that they're on is not ideal. And once all this ends and all the busyness starts back up, it's going to be interesting to really see, I mean, for me personally too, how we can start to put the guardrails in place to execute. And I think um, having people like you in our corner and continue to watch and strive and work together is going to be of so much benefit um, for all of us. So it's just, it's a really exciting thing. And I think we have to really put the, the time and effort into thinking about where we're going to be and where we want to go. And so uh, Sam, this is, this has been great. I think you, you shed so much good insight and this is just like the beginning of things we can talk about. And I, and I just, I've, it's been awesome to hear um, more in depth about your journey and your story. And I think um, I, I personally relate to a lot of it and I know that a lot of our listeners will as well. And for those that might have not had some of the the stuff happen to them, you can really understand how if you get your mind right and you get your body right, that you're ready for for things to be thrown at you, whether those are small and simple or large and vast. And that's that's what the I mean, that's what the alpha mentality is. It's just being the leader in your own life. So where can people find out about you, Sam? And what are some of the um what are some of the things you've got coming up that people should get involved in? Dude, I think you just gave me my my next tagline, be the leader of your own life. That's you've just created the tagline for Alpha Mentality. Um <laughs> I'm on 10% Instagram. royalties. No problem. I'll hook it up for that. Uh, <laughs> it's uh at Coach Sam Tooley, Coach dot Sam Tooley on Instagram. Um I put po- I'm you know, I live on there, so you guys will will see everything that kind of spawns off that as well. Um, at Alpha Fit Club, at Alpha dot the garage. So too many handles to throw at the people, but just find me at at, at Coach dot Sam Tooley on Instagram. Um, stuff coming up. Uh, I am launching, you know, we've got the game plan going on right now with the three of us, um, which is a strength and mobility program for endurance athletes. Um, and then we've all got marathon season coming up as well. So I'll be coaching runners for that. Um, already kind of have a few locked in. And so I'm going big. I'm going to be running at, at New York uh, and then hopefully flying off to El Salvador with you fellas the very next day. So um, looking forward to, you know, this summer, hopefully we get back to a sense of normalcy and everybody stays healthy. Um, I was supposed to be coming out to Chicago to see you guys on June 7th for the half marathon, fingers crossed. Uh, we shall see if that happens, but a lot of good stuff guys. And just super appreciative of the opportunity to come on here and, and dice it up with you guys and kind of share, um, a bit more context as to kind of you know, where my head's at these days. Always. We appreciate it, buddy. The homies. Thanks, Sam.